Good morning, everyone. It's good to see you. It's good to see those of you who are here in the room with us, and we're glad those of you online have joined us as well. We're continuing our sermon series looking at Jesus, the King, in the Gospel of Mark. And today we're looking at a favorite Bible story where Jesus shows his absolute power in calming the storm and the wind and the waves. And our storms don't usually involve boats or wind or water, but Jesus is powerful in our storms as well. My storm began two and a half years ago when my mom passed away, and I became the trustee or executor of her estate, of her trust. She had a living trust, so it's supposed to be quick and easy, except this was before the pandemic started. So during the first few months of the pandemic, the attorney, the financial advisor, and the financial advisor's administrative assistant all left or retired, and I was not notified. In addition, there were a lot of problems with the IRS not processing the taxes and the payments and everything, and a lot of notices about that. And I was very patient because of the pandemic. I, they didn't answer my emails. I thought, oh, they were just busy. But that's kind of been my storm for the last two and a half years. And then in the beginning of January, I got this notice from the IRS that if I didn't make a payment in 30 days, they were going to put a lien on my property. And so I immediately got on the phone, called the phone number, spent two and a half hours on the phone, and then got disconnected. And then for the next five days, I called every day, sometimes two or three times a day, starting first thing in the morning, and I couldn't get through. And it was always, we're busy, we can't take your call, call back tomorrow. And after five days of this, I started to feel very stressed and anxious. You know, even though I'd Googled everything and I knew this was a computer-generated notice and that they probably weren't going to take my house in 30 days, I still felt stressed and anxious about this. And so I just sat down and prayed, God, you need to do something. I need a miracle here. I don't know what to do. So either I need to get through on the phone or you need to send me this letter that says they found my payment and everything's okay. Either one of those is fine. And I just handed this to God, and I felt much better, just trusting that God was in control. And the next morning, I called, and on my third try, I got through to an actual person and got it taken care of. The payments have been processed. This was like six or seven weeks ago, and just, yes, just Friday, I got the notice that my payment had been processed. But I was so amazed that this happened, so thankful, I don't know if God actually has power over the IRS, but kind of felt like it to me. And those are the kinds of storms we face. We're not usually in a boat, but we face storms in our everyday lives, right? In our finances, our health, our families, our jobs, our school. And we can feel like we're in a small boat with the water rising up to our necks, feel like we're ready to drown. But as the disciples learn, we too can learn that Jesus is powerful, more powerful than any of the storms we face. So we're going to look at the story in Mark 4, verses 35 to 41. If you have your Bible, you can turn with me to Mark 4. Mark 4, verse 35. That day, when evening came, he said to his disciples, Let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along, just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat, so that it was nearly swamped. 
Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? And he got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. And then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. And he said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. After a long day of teaching, Jesus, the disciples, and some others set off across the lake in their boats. And the disciples were experienced fishermen, so they had experienced storms on the Sea of Galilee before. They knew the geography of the area, the mountains, the sea, the wind, and, and how sudden and unexpected storms could suddenly rise. And this was a furious squall with gale force winds, water crashing into the boat. It was so severe, the disciples thought they were going to die. And then we see the power of Jesus to calm the storm. There's no indication that he waved his arms around or that he yelled or got loud or forceful. He just said, quiet, be still. And the wind and the water obeyed. Jesus doesn't have a magic wand or a staff. He has power. He is power himself. It kind of reminds me of the creation story where God says, let there be light, and there was light. Jesus simply has to say the word, and the wind and the sea obey. The wind died down. The waves dropped in the tracks. The sea was completely calm in an instant, and there's no indication that the storm was about to pass and that maybe this was a coincidence. It was clearly the absolute power of Jesus. And it's so amazing that the disciples are terrified. They asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey. Before they were afraid of the storm, but now after Jesus calms the storm, they're terrified. The storm had power over them, but Jesus has power over the storm. The storm is unmanageable and uncontrollable, but Jesus is even greater, more unmanageable, more, more uncontrollable, incomprehensible. Even the wind and the waves obey him. Jesus demonstrated <coughs> absolute power over the storm. And in the dialogue between Jesus and the disciples, we can see what this means for them and for us. The dialogue in verses 38 to 40 reveals greater implications, and we can look more deeply at it. It begins with the question the disciples ask as the storm rages, when they say, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? And then Jesus stops the storm, turns to the disciples, and says, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? And if you think about it, these questions seem a little bit off in this context. So let's look at what's happening here. First, let's think about, the, think about the disciples' question. Don't you care if we drown? Now, you have to remember that the disciples had already seen the power of Jesus. They knew that Jesus could do miracles, heal people, that he had power. And the crowds followed them because Jesus demonstrated miraculous power. We can go back to verse 1, chapter 4, verse 1, and it says, Again, Jesus began to teach by the lake. The crowds that gathered around them were so large that he got into a boat and sat on it out on the lake, while all the people were along the shore at the water's edge. 
So the whole reason they were in a boat in the first place was because so many people wanted the power of Jesus, the miracles, the healings, the casting out demons. They had seen the evidence of Jesus' power. So when the storm hit and the disciples thought they were going to drown, their question reveals not just fear, but the assumption of Jesus' power. They don't ask him, what shall we do? Jesus, can you help us? They ask him, don't you care if we drown? See, the disciples were afraid of the storm, but they were also a little upset at Jesus because he was sleeping in the storm. They knew he had the power to save them. They expected him to do it. They thought he should have already gotten up and done something about this, and their question sounds a little like annoyance, right? Mark includes this little detail that Jesus was asleep on a cushion. And Jesus is all comfy and cozy in the back of the boat while they're battling the storm and bailing water. And their question is a little passive-aggressive. It's like they're saying, if you loved us, you wouldn't let us go through this storm. And we can relate to this, right? Don't you feel this sometimes? We wonder in our storms, where are you, God? What are you doing? Don't you care about what's going on in my life? If you really love me, you would have gotten me that A or that job. If you really cared about me, you would fix my family, my kids, my spouse, my health, my finances, the IRS. If you really loved me, you'd do something about this. I can picture myself asking those very questions many times in my life. I remember specifically when my marriage was failing, standing right back there in the back of the sanctuary, asking Pastor Gary these very questions. Why isn't God doing something about this? And Pastor Gary, very wisely, as he always does, just nodded and said, those are good questions. <laughs> he wouldn't take the bait. <laughs> but I now know that I didn't really need answers to those questions. I needed to wrestle with them, to wrestle with God, to wrestle with what I thought about God. God didn't do what I wanted him to do, what I expected him to do. But he was there, and he did care. And in the long run, God did fix the things in my life that needed fixing, just not the way I expected. But maybe you wondered where God is in your storms, in the pandemic, in the political situation our country's been going through, in the injustice and the, unbroke and the brokenness in our world. And now there's a war. And you might be feeling fear about what's happening on a global level. And you wonder, don't you care if we drown? See, we understand and can relate to the disciples' fear and frustration with Jesus because we feel that too. We can believe that God is all-powerful and worship him as the all-powerful one and still wonder what he's doing with all that power and why he's not fixing the things in our lives that we think need fixing. We want him to make our pain and suffering go away, and we wonder if Jesus really has absolute power. Why isn't he doing anything? Don't you care if we drown? And Timothy Keller, in the book we're using, Jesus the King, says this. If you have a God great enough and powerful enough to be mad at because he doesn't stop your suffering. You also have a God who's great enough and powerful enough to have reasons that you can't understand. 
You can't have it both ways. If God really is infinite and all-powerful, you can't expect that his actions will always make you happy and that you'll always understand why he does the things he does. His power is unmanageable, incomprehensible, uncontrollable, and we wish we could manage it, control it, understand it, but we can't. We can't control God and make him do what we wish he would do. But Keller also says this, if Jesus is God, then he's got to be great enough to have some reason to let you go through the things you can't understand. His power is unbounded, but so are his wisdom and his love. Nature is indifferent to you, but Jesus is filled with untamable love for you. If the disciples had really known that Jesus loved them, if they had really understood that he is both powerful and loving, they would not have been scared. Their premise that if Jesus loved them, he wouldn't let bad things happen to them was wrong. He can love somebody and still let bad things happen to them because he is God, because he knows better than they do. Jesus isn't just all-powerful. He's all-wise and all-loving, too. His wisdom and love are unbounded. We can trust him because he wields his power with wisdom and with love. And this helps us understand the next set of questions. Because after he saw, calmed the storm, Jesus asked the disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? And on the surface, this doesn't seem like a good question because of course they're afraid. They think they're about to die. And it's important to note that these two questions are really less about fear and more about faith. Jesus is not really asking two separate, different questions. They're both the same question with essentially the same impact. The word for afraid means fearful, and it implies faithless. We can think of fear and faith as opposites. And Jesus is asking them, why are you so fearful and faithless? How is it that you still have no faith? Jesus is asking about their faith response, not about their spontaneous fear reaction. He's not accusing them for being afraid. It's normal and natural for us to be afraid when we think something's going to kill us. That's a natural, automatic response. And we're supposed to be scared when there's a threat. But we choose what to do when we're scared. What scares you? Spiders? Snakes, public speaking, COVID. I read that the greatest fears of Americans in 2021 were corrupt government officials, environmental concerns, and COVID fears about health and dying. And in social science research, the greatest fears include the fear of failure, rejection, missing out, embarrassment. And I remember my very earliest experience of fear. I was about four years old and I stuck a pine nut up my nose and couldn't get it out. My family used to go to pick pine nuts and we would sit around and eat them afterwards. And pine nuts, as you know, are very small. They're pointed on one end and very round and smooth. They're just perfect to stick in your nose if you're a curious little girl. <laughs> this is one of my very earliest memories. And I, can, I know how old I was because I know, I can still picture the house we lived in at the time and the big chair I hid behind while I was trying to figure out what to do. And as I listened to the rest of my family start to wonder where I was. And I can still feel that fear. 
And it wasn't so much the fear of the peanut in my nose as it was the fear of getting in trouble, of being yelled at or laughed at. It was the fear of rejection and embarrassment. At a very early age, it starts young. And it's kind of sad, don't you think, to be so little and afraid to ask for help from the people that can help you. The other big fear of, for most people and for me is the fear of public speaking. I still feel that up here. Before I started preaching, I was a second grade teacher, so I was used to public speaking, but adults are way scarier than seven-year-olds, let me tell you. I remember vividly my first experience preaching and my knees feeling weak and my voice shaking and not looking up from my paper at all, feeling like I couldn't breathe sometimes. And I still feel nervous when I'm up here. Last week, I watched Pastor Nick with admiration and envy as he spoke without any notes, without an iPad, without anything. And I thought, I wished I had the courage to do that and the memory to be able to do that. <laughs> but people tell you that one of the things you should do when you're nervous about public speaking is to picture people naked. But that seems even scarier to me. <laughs> I don't want to see you naked, really. One of my strategies is to picture the people that I think like me the people that bring me comfort. That kind of helps me. But fear is normal. We all have fears, but we choose what to do with it. When we're responding to our emotions in healthy ways, we recognize that we're afraid. We feel fear, we think about it, we think about what's causing it, and then we make a choice about how to respond. We can choose to face the fear, take risks, have courage, we can think about the welfare of others and what the people around us need. We can turn toward Jesus and respond with faith, in prayer, in worship, in community. But sometimes we just respond automatically, right? We don't even think about it or make a choice. We run away. We crawl into bed and pull the covers up over our heads. Sometimes we don't even realize that fear is what we're feeling and we wring our hands of fear with worry with anxiety. We try to control everyone and everything around us. Or we lash out and blame people. We get angry because of that fear. Think about all the ways people have responded to COVID-19 in these last couple years. Blame, anger, anxiety, worry, control, and courage, caring, and faith. It's not always clear what the faith response is, though. So that's caused a lot of conflict for churches and for Christians. But now, now that the COVID situation seems to be getting better, that experts are talking about endemic and just kind of COVID being here normally rather than pandemic, now we have to think about this. What is the faith response? And I don't want to make you feel bad or make you feel guilty for whatever decisions you've made in the past, but I do want to challenge you to think about this. It's been a long two years with lots of risk and uncertainty and now, as we make decisions moving forward, one of the things we have to think about is, are we motivated by fear or by faith? And it's not always easy to tell. But if you sense God leading you towards community, towards connection, towards people, and reaching out, how strong is your fear? And what is the faith response? Could Jesus be asking you, why are you so fearful? 
and faithless. How is it that you still have no faith? And in those questions, Jesus is not really asking the disciples about their spontaneous fear reaction. He's asking about the faith response when they're in a storm, when they feel afraid. And we can have faith in Jesus in any situation because he has absolute power. And he wields that power with wisdom and love. The disciples didn't turn to faith right away. They stayed in fear. And in their fear, they got upset. They blamed Jesus. They lashed out. They questioned his love and care for them. They didn't think about all their past experiences with Jesus, the healings, the miracles, his power, the things they'd seen. They knew that Jesus was the healer, the miracle worker, powerful. They knew he was the Lord of the Sabbath, the forgiver of sins, the Son of God, the Messiah, the King who had brought the kingdom of earth, the kingdom of God to earth. They knew that, but they didn't really get it yet. Jesus has absolute power, and he wields it with power and love, with wisdom and love, but they didn't fully grasp what that meant. If they really understood that Jesus uses his power, love, and wisdom simultaneously, their fear would not have overwhelmed them. They would not have wondered if Jesus really cared about them. They would have understood that Jesus allows them to go through storms because he knows better than they do. And they would have felt safe in his protection and care if they really understood who Jesus was and what he could do. Their fear would have turned to faith. And notice that Jesus doesn't say, how is it that you don't have more more faith. He says, how is it that you still have no faith? And when you're in a storm, you don't really need more faith. If you believe in Jesus, you have faith. If you haven't yet made a faith decision to believe in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you can ask God for faith. Faith is a gift. Jesus is the author and perfecter of faith. And he said, all you need is the faith of a tiny mustard seed. You don't need more of it. If you're a Christian, you have faith. And when you're facing storms, you can turn from your emotional response of fear to your core belief that Jesus is strong, powerful, that he loves you, that he's wise, that he knows what he's doing, and that he is sovereign and in control. You can turn toward the power and love of Jesus. You can picture Jesus on the cross and the risen Savior with power over our greatest fears, sin and death. Jesus died on the cross and rose again to overcome sin and death once for all time. He didn't abandon you on the cross, and he won't abandon you in your storm. He's all-powerful, all-loving, all-wise, all-good. You can trust him in every storm. Some of us, and maybe you, grew up with a picture of Jesus, maybe a picture hanging on the wall, of a mild and meek, gentle and kind Jesus. Maybe your picture of him is slowly walking down dusty roads, or a good teacher teaching on a hillside, or a kind, forgiving person eating with sinners and tax collectors. Our picture is of Jesus as a nice guy, and he is. But Jesus is not the mild, milquetoast Clark Kent 
We should picture him more like Superman or Thor, the god of thunder. There's a reason C.S. Lewis portrays the Christ character in the Narnia stories as a lion, strong, fierce, powerful, majestic, the king. In The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe in the Narnia stories, Susan is about to meet Aslan, the lion, and she says, oh, I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. And Jesus is the good king. He's more than a character in a story. He's more than a historical king long ago. He's not a distant king far away out there somewhere. He's a real person here with us now. And we should be terrified a little when we understand the extent of his power and greatness. But we should also draw close, and we should trust him. He is a king, but he's our king. He fights for us. He is good and wise and loving, and he is all-powerful. He wields his absolute power in ways we don't understand and can't control, but he does it with wisdom and love, and he cares for us. And knowing Jesus as king has to make us see him differently, to change our picture. He is all-powerful, strong enough for any storm we face. He is all-wise, smart enough to rule the whole world. And he's loving, compassionate. He cares about everything that happens in your life. He is with us and for us. And you can trust him, worship him, Believe him and trust him for the storms you face. Let's pray.